As for North American ears. So Paul had his own challenges for spreading the word. And perhaps maybe you think, well, our challenges are like little dwarfs. They are a little bit petty compared to what Paul had to face. But nonetheless, my goal for you tonight is to open your eyes as much as I can to the reality of the challenges that we face in the mission nowadays. And I'm telling you, there's so many of them. But I wonder, what are some challenges that we face in the worldwide mission in here? Do we preach Christ as Lord? Do we preach ourselves? Are we rightly handling the word of truth, which sheds light into the darkness of the world? I would also like to think that some of the challenges we face more specifically, uh, and we will call them trends, all right? Just so we are in the same page in here. Um, and And so that we can be aware of what's going on in the world of missions. So here we go. Here's my first trend that I want to share with you, is that the, the explosion of short-term missions. You know, it used to be back in the day that a missionary would prepare. Think of, for example, Hudson Taylor going to, to China. He would eat rice because he knew back in the day people in China only would eat rice. When he would feel fancy, he says in the, in the spiritual treasure, the secret, he says, when I would feel fancy, I would add a little bit of butter to my rice because I knew that would be a good day in China. So it used to be back in the day that the missionary would prepare to go to a country that nobody has ever gone before and perhaps a lot of those uh, uh, Moravians and a lot of the Puritans as well, especially the, the Moravians, they would go with things in a casket with their own possessions because they knew that I'm carrying my possessions and I'm carrying my casket because I'm gonna die overseas. That's very different way of doing missions than how we do it right now. So um, nowadays, this has dramatically changed in the last years. There's an explosion in short-term uh, trips. It, it is mostly young people. And I'm telling you, some of the amazing advantages of this is that it creates awareness of the need of the gospel. When we've had short-term missions to, to Mexico, uh, you know, they think they're coming to serve. But in reality, it is God serving their hearts. It is God awakening them to the need that there is in the world. So there's awakened to the need. They can use their gifts. Many of them are greatly impacted for missions down the road. If you talk to some of these folks that are missionaries, most likely they went on a short mission trip somewhere. And that had a great impact on their, on their lives as well. They can use their gifts. They can have hands-on in service. And there's so many more in here. Now, some of the disadvantages, and I can speak as a foreign as well in here that has seen short terms coming to my home country of Mexico, is that this can easily become Christian tourism. And those of you who are missionaries won't allow me to lie in here. And I'm telling you, we need to be aware of the beauties and of the ugly side of our mission way of doing things so that we can rethink and we can perhaps say, how can we do this in a better way? So Christian tourism, and I'm afraid that this is the greatest thrust for these trips. I'm really sad for that. It can also become a burden to the missionaries when the team just wants to come and put a 31st coat in that school so that they can feel that they did something in the trip. 
Now, there's a book called Western Christians and Global Missions. I highly recommend it to you by Paul. You can talk to me later. Borthwick. And I just have a little quote for him. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I just want you to develop a critical thinking in here. Listen to this and I quote. Please send us your adults, not just your children. I'd realize that most career missionaries had short-term experience that played a significant role in determining their future ministry. But I am troubled at the number of children you send our way for one and two week trips. Please send us some people ready to learn our language and our culture who can then live and work with us and help us and help us educate and develop our church. Related to this, I, I really don't need construction workers from your region as we have manual laborers of our own. We do not need skits and songs and languages that we don't even understand and music that we find interesting but is foreign to us. That's another perspective, isn't it? That's the end quote, by the way. That's another perspective. Again, I'm not against it. I'm not for it. It is an amazing challenge by the way how we do missions nowadays. Don't get me wrong, short-term missions are great. I just wonder, is there a way in which we can do them in an effective way? I'll leave that with you, okay? Um, and that can further gospel benefit our missionaries. Trend number two, the paganization of the West. How many of you have heard that Canada and the States were a Christian nation, or perhaps are a Christian nation? You know, that's just over and over, over and over. Paganization comes and people leave. Oh, how can this be? We're a Christian nation. We swear in a Bible on court. How can this be? Like, uh, and God bless America and all those things. We are a Christian nation. I would uh, maybe disagree with that a little bit. I don't even know what a Christian nation is. Uh, the great reformer, John um, of uh, Scotland, John Knox, said that Geneva was the, the, the most Christian nation in the world. Perhaps to some of us, Canada is, perhaps the U.S., um, founded on Christian principles. But do you know that this is not so anymore? Do you know that those principles have eroded? North America is a supermarket of theology, to use a quote of a of a, of a um, theologian, as Detlef Blocker said this, where people can shop for whatever they want. If today you feel this way, you go ahead and buy it. If tomorrow you feel the other way, you want to experience this other religion, go ahead. We're a free nation and we don't want to lose our rights, do we? And Paul just called himself a slave of Christ. What a interesting theology this is. Um, in our postmodern world, John, Pastor John MacArthur, he goes as far as saying that we live in a pre-Christian era before Jesus was born. The Romans, the pagans, uh, the, uh, the Greeks, and all of that. Pre-Christian, just think about it. Our Christian national days, they are gone. They are gone, people. We cannot live in a dream. 75% of Christians live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. 75% of believers. Why the shift? Let me, again, put perhaps something in there. Because I believe we have become less biblical. We have become less theological, theologically literate. We have become more self-focused and less outreach-oriented. When we just perhaps are too busy with our budget, with our maintenance, and we don't look out for the work of the Lord outside. 
and, uh, and we have more interest in social issues than the gospel. Honestly, more food for thought, isn't it? On the other hand, our land, people, it has become an amazing mission field. There's, there's nations all over here in Canada, perhaps across your own doorsteps, across your own streets, across our own church. It used to be 100 years ago that we used to send missionaries to evangelize those pagans. Now those pagans are coming here to evangelize these other pagans. Isn't that something? Just think about it. They come to fulfill the American dream, or at least they used to. Now they come because they see that the need, they see that what happened after the Reformation in Europe is now happening here in Canada, is now happening here in the States. You know, this demands to rethink and reconstruct our mission's mindset and reach the nations outside our own, door, outside our own doors. And yes, our response as a church and missions organizations must adapt to the quick changing panorama. I'm not saying the gospel changes people. This is not what I'm saying. Do not misunderstand me. I'm saying the means by which we do it, which perhaps is scary by tradition, perhaps is scary, but we've done it like this forever. Maybe it needs to be a bit challenged because things are changing. Though we must be careful for, listen to this, somebody said, God is looking for, people are looking for better methods, aren't they? But God is looking for better people. And though nobody's good before God, so methods are not always the right answer either. So there's a good balance in here. That's it. Third trend. This is the 1040 window. How many of you know what the 1040 window? That's great. So basically, this is a section of the world of coordinates where much of the population are hostile to Christianity and missions and efforts and, and home of the largest unreached people in the world. There's much effort, I'm telling you, you know about this again, to bring the gospel to these regions in non-traditional ways because you cannot go with a batch that says missionary. You just can't. They will kick you out of the country. And there's so many different ways to do it. For example, business as missions. What in the world is that? Business as mission, where you go with a business and you maybe you have your, uh, your drugstore in there and you are a Christian, but you are a, a, a business owner and you have an agenda, but you're restricted. I'm telling you, it's, it's something different. Teaching English as well as a single language. Um, social relief, social justice, battling sex traffic. This is a big one, especially in those countries. Um, the black markets doing friendship evangelism and many more. No question about it. We all know that this is an important uh, grade and we need to invest our time, our money, and our energy in this cause. Though there is a great need everywhere as well, just like you know, after outside of your own door. Um, when Amber and I were getting ready to um, go into this journey of uh, mission field, we had an organization that is very well known that uh, a, in various missionaries of the organization just coming to us and telling us with a lot of concern in their faces and a lot of disappointment when we told them we were going to Mexico. And they said, why are you going to Mexico? Don't you know that Mexico is a rich place? Don't you know that Mexico has a gospel? Why are you not going to the Middle East? Why are you not going to the places that really need the gospel? And, and if you, to Muslims, for example, and if you end up going to Mexico, and they told us various people at various times, I don't think you're a missionary. 
Honestly, I don't think you're a missionary because you got to go to an unreached place. And, you know, I appreciate their seal. Honestly, I do. But I think their theology of missions is lacking. Because sometimes we can have a lot of seal for what we do. But our understanding of the theology and the doctrines of the Bible is very important, people. Fourth, national workers. I'm just sweeping through this, okay? I have a resource here to recommend at the end. National workers. K.P. Yohannan, he says this. He says that half of the world population lives in countries where Western missionaries are restricted. That's why they need different methods to get in there. And then he goes on to propose two strategies. Listen to this. He's, this is very interesting. Number one, transition from us going to sending locals to their, to their countries of origin. And number two, going as servants to train and help the nationals to keep on doing their own ministry. And I know a lot of you are involved in this as well. You know, here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. Nationals, the reality is that national workers, they will not need to spend a lot of time learning the language, learning the culture. Um, they can even learn their dialects of their own country in a way faster way than any of us would, would be able to do. There's no cultural learning because they are from there. There's no cultural shock because they are from there. They even need less money than a North American missionary would. They, they wouldn't need to care for uh, furloughs and all of those things that we need to budget as North Americans in here. But, you know, it is also urgent to let them take their own leadership roles to avoid this constant ongoing dependency. So we create a lot of spiritual babies everywhere that depend on, on uh, North American people in here. There's a great need for a North American church to find, train, and send people. And I'm telling you, they are just, your church is full of them. Your neighborhood is full of them because they are coming here. And when they come here, by the grace of God, God opens their eyes, shines the light of the gospel. They become believers. And all of a sudden, they have a huge burden for their country. And you can just say, I'm praying for you and for your people. Is there something else we can do? Can the Lord be calling these people? Can we help them in training and send them back? I'm telling you, this is an amazing opportunity that we have. Now, this doesn't mean that our days of sending missionaries to the world is over. Not at all. It rather means that we have more doors open to accomplish what our mission is. And this partnership, people, must cost us our, our, our own lives. The Lord said so. If you want to follow me, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. And a cross doesn't mean battling with cancer. A cross doesn't mean an illness. A cross doesn't mean losing your somebody that you love. A cross means dying. A first century person knew very well what the word cross means. And there's no gain. There's there, no pain, no gain. No sacrifice no gain. There must be sacrifice. And this is something that we're uncomfortable with. Here's the other side of national workers. It is very challenging and it is very hard to find a trustworthy national. I'm telling you, as a foreigner, people, please listen to me. It is really hard to find a trustworthy national. About a year ago, um, I have a really good friend who is a missionary in Africa, and he's been partnering with nationals for a long time, and about a year ago, one of his top 
top guys took a bunch of money, run away, and now the mission and the missionary wondering what happened. And now CRA is asking for a big demand about all the money that he won and, and he ran away with, and now people are wondering what happened. Trustworthy for a few years, and then this blew over. As a Mexican people, as a Mexican, I have seen over and over my fellow countrymen pretend to be the godliest people to impress English-speaking North American short-term trips because you're there for two weeks. I'm telling you, it's so easy to fake it for two weeks. It's so easy to fake it, to get money, to get favor, to get protection, to get support. One of the guys that I know from Mexico, he had a silver tongue. Have you read The Pilgrim's Progress? If not, you should. I'm telling you. There's one guy in there who had a silver tongue, and he said to, to hopeful and to Christian, if you want to talk about politics, I talk about politics. If you want to talk about religion, I talk about religion. If you want to talk about pagan things, I talk about the pagan things. You tell me. I'll talk about it. You know, this is how many people are. They have a silver tongue. This uh, acquaintance of mine in Mexico had one, too. He come from cartel backgrounds. He was one of the shooters. He killed a few people. And, and you know, embellishment. Every story deserves to be embellished, so says Gandalf. But And this guy was was a good embellisher of a story, and anyhow, he became to the Lord, or so we thought, and there was, uh, uh, he was married, and he ended up pastoring a church that I know very well, and uh, he got connected with Canadians. They brought him here. They were from Manitoba, so he was support raising all over Manitoba, and his testimony, I'm telling you, would drop your jaw. Um, a, a few years ago, what happened is that this guy had a, a rehabilitation center, and without knowing, he was sleeping around with all the young girls in there. I'm telling you, married, getting drunk, doing drugs every single night, every single weekend, but nobody knew about this. The people in the town knew very well, but the supporters had no idea. The Canadians in here had no idea until everything blew up. What an amazing testimony for the gospel that is, isn't it? We must find nationals, train them, send them back. But it's hard to find trustworthy ones. You remember when Jesus said that the people of the world are smarter than us? He was right. This calls for wisdom, people, if we need to do a good job. Not everything that shines is gold. Fifth threat, and this is my last one, actually. Uh, looking for a cause. This is something, this is not in this book. This is something that I was talking to a few mentors of mine. I've seen it as a pastor, uh, uh, and this is something that I've seen it. You know that the generations are changing, don't you? We, you know we live in a changing world. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> um, it is no secret today that our generations are very different from what they used to be. And you can say, aren't all generations different? Well, in a, in a sense, they are. You know, there's the, the greatest generation, the silent generation, the baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z, and even Generation Alpha. And they all have their own distinctions. And even, listen to this, even the way they approach missions. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. Our, our young generations nowadays, and those of you who are older can testify to this, our young generations now in the churches and even people in the world, they are always looking for a cause. This is the, the, the highlight word, a cause. Our young generations are always looking for a cause that they can identify themselves with. And this is rubbing into our all other generations in here too. 
Our young people want to follow a cause. Our young people find their identity in their co- in a cause. Just think about it. You know the gender dysphoria that we have going nowadays. The sexual revolution, riots and protests in universities. You turn on the TV and you see this over and over. They desperately want a cause. People want a cause. So when it comes to missions, here's where it gets interesting. You see many cost-driven people behind modern mission boards and churches, modern people who support uh, missions in here. And, and I'm, not, I'm just using this as an example, but I'm telling you, people are more than willing to support, let's say, a compassion child, again, as an example. They can support a compassion child. They can send shoe boxes to Guatemala. They can paint a school in, in Mexico. They can financially help the translation of a Bible. They can build a house in Mexico in a two-week trip. Trip. They can even buy a pie at an auction for $1,500. Now you tell me, is that looking for a cost or what? Well, you know, it's because we want to build another community center and we want to sell pies. And the highest pie, that means the better, the best we built in there. Why do people do this? The challenge, though, is that many of these people do not see the gospel as a worthy cause to, to share in, to partake in. Now, though, again, those of you who are older, you will not let me lie in here. For many of them, supporting a missionary as their grandparents used to do is not good enough. It's not a worthy enough cause. When something is not seen as worthy of their sweat, their struggle to commit, and, and, and you can see even in their workplace, they have struggled to commit in their studies, in their romantic relationships, in their marriages. So what do we do? Do we just bang these people on the head with a Bible till they get it correctly? Do we ignore these people, shout them out of our churches and say, we will just keep doing it our way? This is why I say it so carefully again, dear friends. Maybe it's time for us to rethink the things we do and the way how we do them. Teach them. Teach them and encourage them in missions. And most of all, our biggest job is to show that the gospel is the worthiest cause of all. That's our biggest challenge that we have, especially with the young generations. Our church has a great task in here. But listen to this. This seal formations, this love formations, this loyalty formations for the gospel. You know where it starts? It starts at home. It starts when you are faithful to the Lord, faithful to supporting the mission overseas, faithful to your devotions, faithful to your prayers, faithful to your time with God, faithful to the church. And that is, I'm telling you, the greatest testimony because words, the wind comes and they are taken away. But a life committed to Christ, honestly, I'm telling you, do not underestimate the time you have with your children. Do not underestimate the time you have with your grandchildren. This is how you pass a seal, honestly. So we lack time to talk about trends. We can talk about the trend of business as missions, globalization, urbanization. You know that they, the, the ones who know, so who think they know, they are pronosticated by, by, that by 2026, 60% of the world population will live in cities that will be 1 million or more. 60% of the world population. There's a great need in our cities as well. 
So uh, uh, globalization, urbanization, there, here's another one very interesting as well. There's a, ra a rising number of young believers moving into a more reformed-like theology with a great hunger for nothing else than the Word of God. There's a great, I'm telling you, you look around, open your eyes. There's a great number of young believers moving into a more traditional-like church setting. Why? Because they've tried the cotton candy preachers. They look gorgeous. They look fantastic. They look good. They look big. But as soon as you bite into them, it just dissolves. There's nothing there. And there's a lot of people moving into a more traditional, biblical way of doing church. That's amazing. So besides that, there's also um, a great hunger and thirst for biblical, as I said, the challenge of Islam and Christianity. We can talk about this growth in partnerships, uh, the challenge of the charismatic and the prosperity movement. By the way, Pentecostals are the, growest, the, the fastest growing church movement out there, especially in Asia, African, Latin America. Pentecostals, the fastest growing movement. I've seen it in Mexico, and I see it all over Latin America as well. The partnership as well, the mission care, the problem of biblical illiteracy, theological drift, increase in persecution, and many more. Many more. And we would need a week-long conference to talk about all these things with people that are way more qualified than me. But here's something I can do for you. Uh, this is a book by Stan Guthrie, and it's called The Mi Missions in the Third Millennium. Missions in the Third Millennium. If you want, at the end, you can take a picture, you can write it. He goes through 21st mission trends going on right now in these last years. And to this, we can add the sexual re revolution that we're having, which is not in this book. But I'm telling you, you're a missionary, you're a churchgoer, that your heart is being pulled towards mission. This is a great resource for you to have so you know what's going on in the mission field. I am convinced, people, that many of our problems have their, their, their um, root in self-preaching and missions is not excluded. Paul had his challenges with false teachers. We have a bunch of challenges. Our root problem is self-preaching. Our root problem is thinking that we're something when in reality we're nothing. Exalting ourselves. As St. Augustine said, one of my favorite theologians, we are, it. this is my third Latin phrase for you in the weekend. I have no, nothing tomorrow. Maybe I will. But this is my my Latin phrase for my favorite theologian, St. Augustine, we are in curvatus in se. What in the world does that mean? We are curved, we are bent towards ourselves. We care for ourselves, we love ourselves, we're concerned for ourselves, and that makes us curve more and more towards ourselves to the point that we cannot lift our eyes up and see the need and pray and, and call and fast and see and say, Lord, send me here I am, because I'm so curved towards my own self, self-preaching. We're so consumed, we can't straighten up. So brother, sister, and tomorrow we'll develop this more Preach Christ. I'm telling you, there's no other way. Preach Christ. Don't get discouraged. You see all this mess, all these trends, all these things that we're battling with. It doesn't really matter. You're not the Lord of the harvest after all. You're not the one who makes the seed grow. 
Don't get discouraged. Preach Christ. Do what you got to do. And I encourage you to be like Paul in Philippians 1.15 and 2.18. Listen to what he said. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But some also preach for, for, uh, for goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motive. Should those be in ministry, Paul? Shouldn't we kick him out? You know, I know I have a really, really good friend, actually. He's been a good mentor to me. And when he told me that he got saved through Kenneth Copeland Prison, prison Ministries, I could not believe it. I was like, no, you got to be kidding me. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I got saved through Kenneth Copeland Prison Ministries. And I was like, well, should we uh, pray for you? Or, I mean, uh, you just shook in all my world. What am I supposed to do? Listen to what Paul says. What then? What then? It, that in every way, whether it is preached or on pretense or on truth, Christ is proclaiming, in this I rejoice. You know, there's a wonderful little book by George Verwer says, Messiology. You folks, you, that's a must read. It'll tell you all about the wonderful mess of the world of missions. Dear people, don't lose heart. Dear people, don't get discouraged. There is hope. Even when our hope challenges us to think outside the box, outside traditional ways of doing missions, our perspective, our philosophy, our ministry, even our preconceived ideas. May it be that we can wholeheartedly say with Paul, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your sovereignty. Because you can see and look things from above and just see that your wonderful plan that has been predestined before the ages of the ages is coming just in perfect time. Nothing takes you by surprise, Lord, not even our mess down here. And if you would not control the mess, you would not be sovereign. But Lord, you rise up kings and kingdoms, you take them down. You glorify your name, and we pray that you would glorify your name and your name only. We pray, Lord, that if we are curved towards ourselves, that if we are bent towards ourselves, won't you straighten us up like that woman that have been suffering from that demonic activity for years. And Lord, by faith, you healed her, and she was able to stand straight. May we, Lord, by faith, receive that blessing to stand straight, look up to the heavens, and take the challenge of missions, Lord. Despite all this mess, you're a sovereign God, and Lord, we're a living testimony of that. We bless you, Father, Son, and blessed Holy Spirit, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.